0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's word together. And as a church, we want to talk about our generosity. So we're going to spend a couple weeks, two weeks, talking about this. And it's important for us to give ourselves this checkup in this area to see how we're doing. Um, You know, I, I know that God knew for many of us, money would be the number one competitor for our hearts. And so just like we need checkups when it comes to our relationships, you know, like that was what we did all last August was we talked about our relationships, just like we need checkups to make sure we're obeying God, just like we need checkups to make sure there isn't sin in our lives. We need checkups in this area as well to make sure that money is in the right place in our lives and Here's the thing. I think we all have this tendency to kind of just place God or group God into certain categories in our life. We're like, well, you can be the God who forgives all my sin, or you could be the God that has set me for eternity and saved me for eternity. You can be the God of my relationships, but you cannot be the God of my wallet. Hands off my money, God. And the reality is that's not healthy. It's not healthy for us spiritually. We can't just pick and choose where we want God to be Lord of in our lives. He's either lord of all or he's not at all. And so we need to from time to time come to God's word and look at what the Bible has to say about money and make sure that we're honoring God with our finances. So, the title of today's message is the faces of greed and generosity. The faces of greed and generosity. And and I've had you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 because uh, it's going to be kind of our launch text. We're going to look at this. It's going to kind of set the tone for this week and next week uh, as we kind of just look at generosity specifically and our money and our tithing. And really today is just going to be a giant overview of, of, of greed and generosity. And like I said, we'll dig in a little bit deeper next week, but we're going to talk about three faces of greed and we're going to talk about five faces of of generosity. And some of you are really quick at math and you're like, that's eight things. What the heck? you know?" But, but they're going to be bite-sized. They're going to be really good. It's going to set us up, but um, we'll get through it. We'll get out on time. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, Paul is the author of this letter, and he's writing First Timothy to a young pastor named Timothy, hence the name of the book, Timothy. And Paul's been instructing Timothy on how to lead the church. And and at the very end of all of this, he's instructing Timothy on generosity, how to give. And Paul says, command the people not to put their hope in money, but to put their hope in God. But then as they put their hope in God, they will use their money to make a difference and they will honor God. Now, I think it's really tempting when we come to 1 Timothy 6 for us to read this and kind of just disregard everything that Paul is saying because we can easily uh, look at the first few uh, words in this text and see it says, as for the rich, and we go, well, I'm not rich. What's next, pastor? You know, what's next week? I gotta gotta figure out what's next because I'm not rich. But here's what I wanna do today is I wanna try to help us establish what is rich and define where the rich line is. In fact, Gallup did a study and asked different people making different wages, how much would you need to be rich they asked people making $30,000 a year how much would you need to be rich those people said $74,000 a year some of you are like make it $74,000 you're like that's not rich you know (laughs) then they asked people making $50,000 a year how much would you need to be rich they said well $100,000 that was the average answer six figures makes sense feels rich right But then they asked the top income earners, people making over $200,000 a year, how much would you need to be rich? Their answer was, on average, $5 million. And that's where we go, okay, yeah, a millionaire, that's rich. That's where we get it, right? But I guarantee you, you can find some broke guy making $5 million and ask him, how much do you need to be rich? And he'll look at you and say, a whole lot more than $5 million, right? Because the rich line continues to move. I remember being in high school, about to go into college, being like, man, if I could just make $20,000 a year, I'd be rich. I'm not going to have to worry about it. I made over $20,000 a year, and I realized I am not rich, you know? I feel broke. It would be like going to KFC and wanting to lick other people's fingers because, you know, you're just broke, you know? You don't have any money. It's gross, but it'll stick with you, okay? Okay. I didn't even say that to the next service, you know, so that's that's just of the Lord. But, you know, (laughs) but then I remember I was like, man, if I could just make $30,000 a year, that'd be great. I'd be rich. And then I surpassed that because the rich line is always in front of me. It's always moving. And that's true for all of us. No matter how much money you have, no matter how much you take home today, you leave here, the rich line is always in front of you. But I want to share some good news and some bad news with you today. And I'll start with the good news, because I think we need some good news, right? The good news for us today is you're rich. Now, some of us, we don't like that. It makes us a little uncomfortable. None of us went, yeah, amen, brother, you know, because we don't like it. It makes us feel uncomfortable. I knew it would get quiet as soon as I said it. Because we don't like to be called rich. We don't feel rich. But here's the reality. You are living in one of the wealthiest countries in the world right now. And because of that, it's so hard for us to see that we're rich because we've grown up in a rich environment, in a rich America. See, we have a misunderstanding of how rich we really are. Now, that's not to say that there are some of us here today who are really facing some financial struggles, some financial hardships. And listen, I never want to minimize the fact that we are struggling financially I'm not here trying to pretend like you don't have enough faith or you don't have enough, like you're rich. You know, I understand. I mean, gas prices are higher than they were last year. Inflation, uh, food prices is all going up. Our dollar does not uh, 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 stretch as much as it used to. And so I know that for many of us, we don't feel rich. I know for Jen and I, we feel the same way. It feels like a struggle. It is hard. But even Paul in in Philippians, he said, there are some seasons where I've had a lot and there's some seasons where I haven't had as much. He said, but whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, he said, I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so I know that there are some of us here today, we don't have as much as we would like to have. But follow me with this in the grand scheme, in the big picture of everything, you and I are more blessed, and we live in one of the richest lands in the world. We are some of the richest people alive. So that's the good news. Here's the bad news. Some of you are like, I don't want the bad news. But here's the bad news. You're rich. Because of our wealth, it puts us at a huge spiritual disadvantage. Because we're tempted to find our security, find our identity, find our purpose in our things, rather than God. And so Paul is telling Timothy to command the people not to find their identity, not to find their security in the things they have, but to be good and to do great things with what God has given them. And the same is true for us today. These verses apply so much more to us today. We need to make sure that we remind ourselves to find our identity, find our hope in God. We need to make sure that we find ourselves holding on to God more than holding on to our things. Jesus even said this in Luke 12. He says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Greed is not something that needs to be taught. I mean, you can find any three-year-old, go serve in our three-year-old classroom before they learn to say mom and dad, they somehow know how to say mine. We don't have to be told on how to hold on to things, right? We have a sin nature. We just know that naturally. But as we get into our relationship with God, he's trying to teach us how to give and how to live generously. And so with that framework in mind, I want to show you three faces of greed. And the first one is greed lives in people, not possession. Greed lives in people, not possessions. The amount of things you have doesn't make you more or less greedy. Greed is a matter of the heart. And so you can find someone who doesn't have anything, and they can be extremely greedy. Or you can find somebody who has an abundance of things, and they can also be greedy. Greed isn't about how much you have. Greed is about your heart towards the things that you do have. Here's the thing about greed. Greed strikes rich people and poor people the same. Because greed isn't about what we have. It's about what we want. A few weeks ago, I saw this play out in our lives. I picked up my boys from school and um, I knew that we had to come here for a church event. And and so we were going to be here till nine. And so they went to school at eight and we weren't going to get home till about nine. That's a long day for them. And so I was like, you know, I'm a good father. I'm going to rain good gifts on my kids. And so what we did was we went to uh, the gas station, I said, pick out any candy you want. So Brody, he picks out Starbursts, Asher picks out Skittles, and Dawson picked out my favorite candy that there is Wild Berry Gummies, right? Like, I don't know how many of you love gummy bears, gummy worms, gummy lifesavers. Like, there's a few of you. We'll pray for the rest of you because gummies are the best. I love gummies. And not only did he just pick lifesaver gummies, but he picked the family size. And I was like, perfect. I get a blessing because of this too, you know? And so we get in the car and I tell the boys, all right, guys, dad tax, you know? And if you're a parent and you don't ask for a dad or mom tax on your kid's candy, fries, I don't care what it is, you're parenting wrong. And we're going to go back and talk about parenting again, all right? But I, but I told him, I said, give me, give me the tax. Brody hands me the, the Starburst. Asher gives me a few Skittles. What does Dawson do? I hear him crumpling up that bag. He's like, nope, I'm not going to share. I was like, what? He's like, these are mine. I was like, those aren't yours. Excuse me, sir. I saw myself purchase these. You don't have money. You're broke. Like, hand over the gummy lifesavers. And he's like, no, he's gripping tightly onto the gummies he has. And then the next thing I know, he's stuffing gummies in his mouth that he has chipmunk cheeks (laughs) because he doesn't want to share. And I was like, dude, don't you understand that I have this ability? I'm a good dad. I can rain gummies down upon your life, but you're being greedy. You're being selfish with what you have. I think that's true for all of us. We hold tightly onto the things that we have. We all do this. Greed doesn't have anything to do with how much you have. It has everything to do with where your heart really is. Here's the second thing. Greed destroys our trust in God. Greed destroys our trust in God because we think, well, if I have enough money in the bank, then I'm going to be okay. Can I tell you before you ever had a dollar with God, you were okay? He owns everything already. He's an incredible provider. Are you willing to open up your hands and be willing to pour out what God has poured into your life? What you'll find out is you'll never run out of need because God is always faithful. Now, listen, we're not giving to get. Don't misunderstand that. God is not some genie that we go, well, if I just give enough, then God's going to provide, and I'm going to be rich and blessed. It's not it at all. We give because we've already been given so much. But the more we want to trust in money, the less we trust in God. I mean, Biggie Smalls, the great poet of the 1990s, said it best when he said, mo' money, more problems, Right? More money means more challenges, more things to take care of. Greed wants to erase God as the provider. And then here's the last face of greed. It's greed is rooted in fear. Greed's rooted in fear. Greed is rooted in this mindset that we won't have what we need if we give away what we have. And I think for some of us, this mindset is set into our lives because at some point, we've found ourselves in a season where we didn't have as much as we would like to have. We found ourselves in seasons where we feel like we're lacking. Maybe for you, it's that first job. It didn't pay as much as you thought that it would. Maybe you just found yourself in your first struggle and you were like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if we're gonna be able to make ends meet. And because of those reasons or maybe other reasons, fear tries to creep into our lives. And we're like, well, I'm not sure I'm gonna have Enough. This week I read some interesting uh, statistics about money. And one of them said that 77% of Americans feel anxious about their financial situation. Said that 58% feel like money controls their lives. Meaning, basically, money controls what they do, makes the decisions for them. And can I say that is a terrible thing? Money should not make decisions for you, money has no values. You should make decisions based off of what you believe, what God's word has to say, not about your money. It goes on to say that 75% of people worry about money all the time. Meaning that if I took 10 people, eight of you are going to be worried about money all the time. Then it goes on to say that 25% are constantly thinking about money. One out of four people, money's always on the front of their mind. And then the last encouraging statistic said that um, the number one cause of divorce is money. We've allowed ourselves to trust in money and money never does what God can do. And so we find ourselves in this constant state, this constant cycle of worry and fear. And it creates this cycle of, well, I don't know if I'm going to have enough. I don't know if I can give. I don't know how this is going to work out. And what I hope to teach you in these few weeks is just to help you trust God. To live the generous life that he has called us to live. My hope today is that we would recognize these faces of greed. and We would want to take that out and put generosity in our lives. I hope that 2 Corinthians 8-7 would be said of us when it says this. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, in your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Listen, God wants us to live a generous life. So let's move to the five faces of generosity. See, we're going to move through these really fast. It's going to be good. First one is generosity makes you more like God. Generosity makes you more like God. How many times have you gone before the Lord and been like, God, make me more like you? It's a great prayer. We should pray that prayer, God, make me more like you. But I wonder how many times God looks at us as we're praying, God, make me more like you. He's like, I've already given you so much. What are you gonna do with what I've given you? Be a reflection of me in this world. In fact, I wanna just remind you of two verses about how generous our God is. James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our stingy God. No, it says ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. A verse we all know, especially with football coming up, we're going to see it everywhere. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. If you want to be like God, Begin to live a generous life. Jesus sees the love in our giving. Matthew 26, there's a story about Jesus hanging out in his home with his family. And this woman comes in and she's got this really expensive perfume. And she comes in and she just dumps it over Jesus's head. And and, and her generosity was significant because of the value of her gift. It was great sacrifice. It revealed the depth of her gratitude. Jesus told his disciples, he said, hey, this lady here who poured out this perfume on my life, he was like, that kind of generosity, that kind of worship should be forever marked as followers of Jesus. We are more like God when we are generous. Second characteristic, the second face is generosity draws us closer to God. See, there's a direct connection between your heart and your money. We'll look into this next week, but it says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, your money is like a magnet. If you put your heart in good things, then you put your money in good things. If you want your heart to be in your home and your car and the clothes you wear, the shoes you buy, that's where your money will be. That's where your heart's going to go. So it's important for us to recognize that Matthew 6 is saying, listen, if you want your heart to be in the right things and start investing in the right way, that's honoring to God. What's going to happen is you'll actually begin to draw closer to God. Number three, generosity loosens the grip of greed on your life. Matthew 6.24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, you can have God and you can have money, but you cannot serve both God and money. You could say you love Jesus, but if you're not trusting him with your money, then you don't love him as much as you think you do. Jesus uses money as a tool to reveal to us our true priorities. If you want to know where your priorities are, all you need to do is look at that bank statement. Look at that credit card statement. It's going to show you the truth of what's really important to us. In fact, I read a statistic this week that said that 5 to 7% of people are actually giving to the church. Which means that there's 93 to 95% of us that clearly cannot obey or want to obey or even try to obey this command that Jesus has given us. We're kind of just disregarding it. Again, I hope in this series, what we do is we learn to be generous people. That's who our God is, and that's who we are to reflect. In fact, this this idea of tithing has been something that Jen and I have done over our entire marriage. I can't think of a time where we didn't tithe. Even as a church, we model this. We partner with different organizations like R for One, Mana Cafe, Hope Pregnancy Center. Listen, I can't stand up here and say, we are against abortion if we're not going to put our money to another alternative. I'd be wrong. And so we care about what they're doing. We want to support what they're doing. But even behind, even past Clarksville, we partner with an organization called Exodus Road who saves people who are being sex trafficked. What we do is we partner with another organization called Faith Comes by Hearing. And what we've been able to do as a church is we've had the Bible translated in so many different languages, countries I can't even pronounce and speak. But villages, cities, nations have heard the good news, Then it's changing their lives just like it changed our lives. We may never be missionaries to some of these countries, but with our money, with our generosity, we are able to take our money and get the Bible translated into other languages. It's because of our generosity we're able to do that. Now listen, when I look at the money personally that I could do with that, man, life would be so much easier. So much more comfortable. When I look at the church, the money is given away. Man, we could do a whole lot with that money. But listen, God has always provided for every single one of our needs. Maybe not all of our greeds. but he has always been faithful to provide for our needs. So just as I'm modeling it, just as the church models it, we need to break the greed off of our life. We need to loosen that grip by, by being generous. Number four, generosity grows your faith. When you give, it will stretch your faith because you are trusting God to provide. I mean, my five to seven percent tithers out there, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know that God is going to provide when you give 10 percent, that God is going to provide in a supernatural way. And we'll go further than if we just had the 100 percent. Second Corinthians 9 says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, to illustrate this, I have a friend with me today. <laughs> well, i, I got to get him out of the shadows, though, here, because he's, he's kind of hiding here. But I do have a friend. <laughs> I want you to take all the beauty in right here, all right? This is Cardboard Nate, all right? And uh, just so you know, I'm not vain, enough to buy myself a cardboard cutout. This was a gift given to me. So this wasn't something I was like, you know what I need? Every person just needs a cardboard cutout of themselves. That's not it at all. Like this genuinely was a gift given to me. And so I want to illustrate this point about generosity, growing your faith, because let's say you have two followers of Jesus, right? Both love Jesus. Both are following Jesus, but real life Nate is taking God at his word and saying, well, I'm going to give 10% and trust in God that he's going to provide. And then we've got cardboard Nate here. Cardboard Nate says, well, I need hundred percent of what I make. I'm not going to trust God in the tithe." And so what cardboard Nate says is in my life financially to get from A to B, I need to keep 100% of everything that I make. That's how I'm going to get in my life from A to B. Now, real life Nate says, well, I believe God's going to take me in my life financially from A to B on the 90%. And I'm going to trust God that he's going to provide what I need to get to the, get to my, uh, in a supernatural way to get to that B spot. Now, what's funny about this whole illustration is not so much that I have a cardboard cutout of myself, which, by the way, I think I'm a lot taller in person, you know? So uh, that's, that's one thing. Somebody said I look more buff in this. I did, did not get weaker. So, But, but the, the thing is, it's not so much that I have a cardboard cutout of myself. But here's what's funny about this, is that the cardboard Nate's going to look at real life Nate and go, you're crazy. How are you expecting to go in your life from A to B without using all 100%? real life Nate's going to look at cardboard Nate and go, you're crazy. How are you going to be able to, you're going to miss out on God's supernatural provision. You're going to miss out on what God's going to do. I'm going to get my life from A to B, but you're going to miss a whole other dimension, the C dimension, where God provides in a supernatural way, where we feel God's favor and God's blessing on our life. Here's the thing. Generosity grows your faith. If you give whatever's left or you don't give anything at all, it doesn't take much faith. In fact, Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we worshiped God, before we committed our lives to him, God gave. He sent his son first before we did anything. That's how God gives to us and that's how he asks us to give to him. Now, I'm gonna get rid of Cardboard Nate here because he's a distraction to me. So I can take pictures later if you want with Cardboard Nate. So <laughs> here's the last one. Generosity impacts eternity. First Timothy 6.18 says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take a hold of that which is truly life. See, when you give, you are investing in eternity. No one can bring their material wealth into eternity. Heaven and hell do not have bank accounts. They don't have parking garages. When you die, it will not change your circumstances. With what you have, it won't change your circumstances in the afterlife. No amount of possessions gives you a better or worse position in the afterlife. That's why Paul is telling Timothy, hey, store up. Tell the people to store themselves up a treasure as a good foundation for the future. Those In the Greek, store up is, is two Greek words, and they're compounded together. And what it means is to store away treasure or to amass a fortune. What Paul is telling Timothy is, hey, tell the people that put their investments in a safe place so they're not stolen, so they're not ruined, so they're not destroyed. I wonder if Paul is remembering what Jesus said when he said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Our time on earth is temporary. We're all headed for an eternity somewhere. We can make the most of our eternity now making sure that we're investing in the things that God wants us to invest in so that we prepare for that eternity with God later. We need to invest in the things like Paul is telling us here in 1 Timothy 6, to store up treasures in heaven. We could choose to focus our lives on the temporary, buy all the things, get all the nice things, go in our lives from A to B with 100. But we could also start investing in the things start investing in treasures that'll last forever. Invest in a relationship with God now that'll continue in heaven for eternity. Our eternal perspective affects our earthly priorities and generosity impacts eternity. So greed is sneaky. Greed is crafty. Greed, greed, not creed, greed disguises itself in many forms. Greed tells us you have to have that, but it also says you must hold tightly onto what you do have. Whether it's coveting what someone else has or holding tightly on what you do have, greed will eventually transform us into stingy people. Stinginess causes us to live closed off lives where we would rather possess than steward. We would rather hoard than give. When you are stingy, you will know it because stingy is ugly. No one wants to admit that they have a problem with greed. I've had people come into my office over the years and they'll tell me, man, I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling in my parenting. I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with insecurities. I'm struggling with worry. I'm struggling with fear and doubt and anger. And the list goes on and on and on. But you know what I've never heard? Someone saying I've struggled with greed. I think the reality is because we're not honest with ourselves when it comes to our desires to just consume and just own stuff. See, even right now, you might be in this internal battle with yourself. You might be talking to yourself, am I greedy? Am I generous? I'm, I'm generous. I give occasionally, you know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm a generous person. I like to give. Oh, my spouse, they're the ones in charge of the finances, so it's really their problem, not mine. I'm a saver. We like to have this internal battle going on, but listen generosity produces a lifestyle where you're able to trust God for all that He's promised us. See, God's generosity is the ultimate weapon against greed. And when our eyes are open to the aspect that our God is a generous God, that this is a part of His character, we see that he's generous. When we look in, the, in his word and we see that he gave, that he cares about us. You know, it talks about how God looks at the, the lilies of the field and the birds of the air and how much he cares for them. How much more would he care about us? And we see that our God is a generous God. We can't help but want to reflect that here on earth.